Now we've been going through this uh, this book of the New Testament for the last. Uh, for, it's it's been two months. Can you believe that? It's been two months of going through Ephesians, and I don't know about you, but I love this book. And every time I open it, I get confronted with <laughs> I get confronted by the Spirit, um, and that happened this week, just as it did um, every other week of this series. Um, I think it I think it speaks to a lot of what is going on in our world right now. And it, uh, it, it's just rich theology, and it shows how theology builds into ethics in a really uh, profound way. That if we have right theology, it should lead to right living. Our orthodoxy should lead to orthopraxy. Um, and having a right heart, which is orthocardia. I'm not sure if you've ever heard that $10 word before. Um, orthodoxy should actually lead to orthopraxy. Cardia, that's, that's a right heart before God, and that's what leads to right, uh, right practice, orthopraxy. And this is now what Ephesians is starting to get into. It's, it's, uh, Paul has laid out an orthodoxy, this, this vision of theology, of, uh, of thinking about God and what God has done for us. And he's moving now into this, he's, he's sort of moved into this right-heartedness, this orthocardia to be able to set the stage and he's going to start doing this he sort of started last week in the passage we looked at but now he's really going to um, get into it of what does orthocardia look like in practice what does it mean to be a believer who has uh, who 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 behaves as a believer that's really the that's really the core of a lot of what we saw last week and it's at the core of what we uh what we're taking a look at this week. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up to Ephesians chapter 5. We're taking a look at verses 3 through 21. 3 through 21. And just a reminder that this is actually a continuation of the previous passage. This is not... um, and, And actually, something to keep note of just in general for your Bibles, whenever there's headings, so like here's my... I'm going to show you my Bible with its headings because this is something that I always have the, well, I always want to do, but so you can see in my Bible, there are the lines of text and then there are headings breaking it up. Headings like here, there's one here, um, and the headings sort of try to tell you exactly what you're looking at or give a, give a little bit of context to be able to say, here's what this section of the, of the text is all about. Um, the problem is they're not actually in the text, um, and sometimes they're pretty misleading, and they break up things so that it doesn't seem like Paul is tr- is is weaving an argument together. Because, and oftentimes he is. We're going to see this today, because this uh, actually the next two weeks, because the the vision that Paul lays out in this passage today, he extends out into Christian households. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and we'll see, we'll see it, especially at the end of the passage, um, where he talks about what it means to be filled with the spirit and what that, what filling with the spirit leads to in our lives. Um, and so, you know, whenever you see those headings, um, sometimes they're helpful, but just remember that they weren't part of the text and they should not dictate how you read the text. You should read 
not within the headings, but sort of around the headings, um, to be able to really catch the full meaning of what Scripture is saying in these passages. So, all of that to say, at the, uh, so all of that to say, the um, as we as we go through this text, pay attention to the end, I guess. But for now, let's just look at the first couple of verses. Um, this passage starts out, the passage we're looking at today starts out in the middle of the, sort of in the middle of Paul's argument um, in verse 3. Previous to this verse, Paul has been talking about the crucifixion. He's been talking about Jesus's sacrifice on the cross and Jesus's example, saying that we are dearly loved children. And because of Christ's example of, uh, of, of dying for us, we should walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up, excuse me, gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. So that's the that's the intro line. Jesus gave himself up as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to the Lord. This is a sacrifice that has saved us from sin, that has saved us from our sin um, and from the, from the penalty of death that sin uh, brings into existence. Uh, <laughs> and then... It's interesting. So now we're going to read this verse and just keep that in mind that we've been, it, it's the, the, um, there's a little bit of whiplash that happens if you're really paying attention. So we've talked, it's talked about the cross, the walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice. And now verse three, where, where our passage is starting today. But among you, there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such as such a, such a person is a, as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with fruitless deeds of darkness but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. <clears throat> but everything exposed by the light becomes visible, and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. That is why it is said, Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Be very careful, then, how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity, because the days are evil." Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. <clears throat> 
And did you catch that right at the beginning? It goes from talking about... Um, so two things that I hope you caught. The, the first is that it goes from talking about, in verse 2, the crucifixion of Jesus, to talking about all sorts of sin, and basically saying, this is how... Um, this is how wretched the human condition actually is. This is how this is how wretched the, the the world is apart from God. And then at the end, it has that it has the it has a title in my Bible. It says instructions for Christian households. But that is actually just a continuation of the thing that Paul's already saying. It's a very strange uh, it's it's a very strange place to put that to put that in. Well, not really not really strange. It makes sense, but I think it's. It just shouldn't be there. I'm not a big fan of these uh, of these headings, to be completely honest. Verse three and four. We'll go back to the beginning. We Paul has this beautiful picture of the cross, and then he basically says, "And here are some sins that are antithetical to the cross." And this is not a this is not an all encompassing list, but it's a um, really interesting, especially for the Ephesians, a list that probably takes care of or covers over the major sins of their cultural life, the, the sins that they would be uh, most easy to participate in, as well as those that they would be encouraged to participate in and to celebrate in all sorts of different ways. Sexual immorality, any kind of impurity, and greed. And he says these are improper for God's holy people, for God's set-apart people. We cannot be living in this worldly way of having our lives marked by sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. Now, what do those words mean in the text? The sexual immorality, the word that Paul uses is porneia, and it is a catch-all phrase for any, um, for any sexual sin um, that you could possibly think of. So sometimes we, we think like, oh, the, 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 the ancient world could never have known about this type of um, this type of sex or this way of, uh, of, of engaging in sexual activity. And almost always you can, you can actually go through just the history of language and this porneia, uh, word really covers it all. And it's used in a way that, that whatever you can imagine a sexual sin to be, it's covered by this word. Um, Paul's actually going to bring this up sort of uh, sort of in passing a little bit later on when he starts talking about uh, talking about husbands and wives and their relationship together um, but it's he's, he's sort of uh, he's sort of pointing out the sexual immorality and the the catch-all phrase of porneia to say that anything that scripture says is sexual sin should be far away from the people of God. Now, uh, I'm going to be a bit controversial here. Maybe. I don't know. But um, the the, the go-to thing to point out for most Christians over the past probably 30 years um, to, to, to describe exactly what Paul's talking about, they'll say, like, oh, you want an example? Well, gay sex is the example that they point to. Um which really frustrates me in a lot of ways. And here's why. Adultery, pornography, and prostitution are the things that the majority of Christians, and especially Christian men, really struggle with. And they are wrapped up in this porneia word. 
Paul is saying adultery has no place in God's kingdom, uh, in no place in the God's holy people. Uh, pornography has no place and prostitution has no place. And like, we should really get a handle on that before we, uh, in our own hearts, before we start pointing at, uh, at a whole bunch of other things for what amounts to a minority of, you know, the, the population. Um, anyways, that's a bit of a, that's a bit of an off cursor. Let's, what I'm, what I'm trying to say is check your own heart before you try to check other people's hearts. Check your own heart before you try to make judgments of other people's heart. This is talking about the people of God, which is you. So are you, um, are, do you fit within that, within that, does, does sexual immorality define you? And this passage talks about those things done in secret. Does, do these things define you? If it does, you need to, you need to repent, but check your own heart before you start looking at other people and making judgments about them. Take the log out of your own eye before you try to take specks out of other people's, Jesus says. So we've seen sexual immorality, impurity, which could be sexual, it could be moral. What, it, what the word's trying to get at is, are sort of the sins of the heart rather than the sins of the body. Um, and then greed, which is this desire for more and more and more, um, which, which all the commentaries that I read this week said has a sort of a sexual component which brings up a question, why the focus on sex? Why is there a focus on sex in this part of the passage? And I think that there's a good reason. It's, and it's because in the Bible, immorality, and, and especially sexual immorality, and idolatry are connected together. That is, worshipping other things other than God, and all sorts of immorality, but especially sexual immorality, are connected together. For the Ephesians, this is absolutely true. They would have had um, basically orgies in worship, of their gods um, in, in some of the temples in Ephesus. So this is, this is actually the natural place for Paul to be able to look at and say, okay, this is where your culture sins. But even more than that, sexual immorality is obvious because it is by definition physically manifested. It is, um, it's an expression of the state of our hearts that, that are lived out in a very physical way. And so it's sort of the, the easy go-to in a, in a lot of senses. It's, it's the, the easy way to test the condition of your heart is to think about how you do not live up to the standards of God's holiness in sexual ethics. So Paul has laid out this foundation of, <laughs> of basically saying... You know, to have nothing to do with sexual immorality, of impurity, of greed. These are not proper for God's holy people, God's set-apart people. Essentially, he's saying, do not engage in worldly impurity because it's inconsistent with your identity in Christ. We'll get back to that in a second. But these things are inconsistent with your identity in Christ. And he also says, nor should there be. And <clears throat> if you were reading this sort of with fresh eyes... I'm willing to bet you would never have guessed that this is the thing, that these are the things that Paul would say. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse talking. That is, there shouldn't be talk that is shameful before others. There shouldn't be talk that is foolish. And there shouldn't be off-color joking. Which isn't to say we can't joke, but it is to say that off-color joking, that, 
that actually doesn't build anyone up is not uh, is not what God wills for us and is not what God desires for how we should speak to one another. He says instead, well, actually, it's, uh, he says, uh, yeah, he says, uh, but rather thanksgiving. So don't have obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking. These are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And Paul is doing a an interesting turn of phrase thing, actually, in the background of this, because coarse joking, the word for it um, in the Greek is eutrapalia, and thanksgiving is eucharista. Um, and there are different, especially when you're when you're reading it on a page, it sort of pops out that these are very, um, that these are these are very similar words. And he's saying, move from the coarse joking to the thanksgiving. Move from eutrapelia to eucharista. Um, and try to in his in his original readers' minds, uh, he's he's sort of doing an alliteration that some pastors would do to get it into their minds and, and into their hearts of this is how we should be living get rid of obscenity get rid of foolish talking get rid of coarse joking and instead build each other up with thanksgiving to god for of this you can be sure no immoral impure or greedy person such as such a person is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of christ and of god and you know, so I think we might be able to read that passage and say, oh, that's a, that's a threat. And um, I don't think that's true. I think, actually, Paul is giving us a promise. Of this we can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a person is an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Part of that is just a regular, is a, is a statement of fact that our sin cannot exist in God's kingdom. But then there's a promise that goes with that because Paul has already told us that 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 um, that we are saved by grace, not by works. We're saved by the grace of God and our inheritance is guaranteed because of that and sealed with God's Holy Spirit. And so this is a this is essentially a promise that our essential identity comes from God by grace, and it's not according to what we do. And that defines the, the contours of our history and the, the, and, the, and the place where God, excuse me, will lead us. We aren't essentially immoral, impure, or greedy anymore. In Christ, the Spirit of God is transforming us from the inside out and has given us a new identity to be able to live out of. And that identity is certainly confirmed by our actions. How we live is important. If we have the Spirit of God in us, it will lead us to be living in a very particular kind of way. Not a life that is marked by Im immorality or impurity or greed or obscenity or foolish talk or coarse joking, although we might stumble into those sins sometimes. Our lives are no longer marked by those things as, a, as identifying markers of who we are. And if we're engaged in those on a, on a habitual basis, we need to ask the question whether we really know God's grace in the way that we think we do, and whether we're responding to the grace that we know to be able to be transformed 
We, we, we receive God's grace, and when we receive God's grace with thanksgiving, it always leads to our transformation, always. Transformation that, that won't be completed until God's kingdom comes in its fullness, but we can at least begin living out of that transform it, at the transformation now with transformed hearts and transformed minds in Christ Jesus. And so Paul continues, Do let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Therefore, do not be partners with them. And this is a, this I'm sure is a, is a verse that has tripped people up um, quite a lot in our culture today, because it's basically, it's basically saying if, if, uh, if someone is marked by sexual immorality, impurity, or greed, don't be partnered with them in, uh, essentially in ministry is what, is what the, the text is referring to. First off, empty words. Um, for Paul, these are lies, these are untruths, these are words that lack any substance. He says, have nothing to do with them. Colossians, uh, he puts it as, as, as uh, he, he describes empty words as hollow and deceptive philosophies. The implication is that those, oh, Liam's having some fun. Uh, the implication, I think, from the whole passage here is that empty words, those with empty words, will almost certainly favor sexual immorality, impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, and coarse joking in their lives. They will actually favor being marked by those things as the defining characteristics of who they are. And for that, Paul says, do not partner with them. Don't share ministry with them. It's a warning about gospel ministry and unity in Christ. And he says, if people are being disobedient to God, you shouldn't actually go come alongside them and say, hey, we're partners in ministry going in the same direction. He says, you're not. You're actually not. You, you might, it might not seem that way, but you're actually not. Instead, he says, live holy lives, the lives that you've been called to. And then help the disobedient know God. It's not actually a, it's not a matter of breaking relationships and saying, oh, I, 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 I totally can't connect with you in any sort of way. But it's saying we can't have partnered ministry, but I'm still going to love you. I'm still going to serve you. I'm still going to be your, your friend and I'm going to walk with you. Um, but we just can't, we can't share our ministry together because in Paul's mind, even those who are disobedient deserve grace just like we do. And so engage with them in other places that actually in first Corinthians five, verse 10, he says, if, if you try to get rid of all these people who are disobedient, you basically have to get rid of the entire world. Um, see, it's, it's not a matter of disengaging. It's a matter of engaging in a very particular way. And here's the thing. God's spirit, as people come to saving faith, will lead to repentance. And then it's from repentance, they'll be drawn into thanksgiving for God. And that thanksgiving will lead them into transformation. Repentance leads to thanksgiving, thanksgiving into transformation. And that transformation is, it will transform how, how they live and how we live. It should be transforming how we live. And this is now where Paul really focuses 
his argument is now it's all about okay how are you living in the world he doubles down on all of this message and then and has these uh has these um has this beautiful section that's that's sort of a um that it's sort of a prayer as much as it is a teaching <clears throat> let's let's take a look at it it says once you were in darkness but now you are light in the Lord. You are light in the Lord. And you are darkness, he says. You were darkness, which is really interesting. So, but he says, live as children of light. For the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. And you wouldn't notice it from the English, but that phrase, actually, the live as children and finding out what pleases the Lord is connected in the Greek. He's actually, he's, 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 he's essentially saying, live as children of the light by finding out what pleases the Lord. Use your mind to understand uh, what it is that God, how God wants you to live. <clears throat> um, Christianity is, is, I think sometimes, it can actually be made into a bit of a. It, it can actually go both. It could go two ways. Christianity can sometimes be considered this um, this religion that's all in your head, and that's not good because if you're all in your head, you're not living out the message. But sometimes it can also just be all about the emotions and saying we want this emotional high or this emotional experience, um, and that's not good because then you're not actually thinking about how it is that God wants you to live. There's a middle ground that that Paul's calling us to here. And he continues on, he says, have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. And, and he's not saying expose other people's sins publicly for them. Actually, he says that's shameful. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. So what does he mean by exposing them? I think he means that when you live as a person of light in the world, as a person of grace and truth, who's living out of God's grace and truth, um, that light, which is a reflection of Jesus's light at work in you, uh, will show the true nature of the darkness. Um, the, I, I think actually one of the best examples of this uh, is the southern U.S. in the, in the 60s, where... A bunch of Christians, and remember this this was a Christian movement um, fun, in, a, in a really fundamental way um, with the civil rights movement and Martin Luther King Jr. and, and many of the other leaders that were, that were present there, they started these protests from within churches and then, and then would go out into the protest. They would start with prayer um, and, then, and then move out into the streets. But in the context of their of this little community that they were building, trying to get the U.S. to reckon with its civil rights history, um, they actually treated one another in the community as full equals. We they they treated each other as they as they believed God taught that they should treat one another, and that reflected the light of Christ, and revealed just how dark and disgusting the racism of the southern U.S. actually was. It, sh it showed it off for all to see. 
that can happen in a number of different ways and it could happen now as well if we would just commit to living out the principles of God's kingdom in our lives today, not just as individuals, but as a community. This is a letter written to a community. This is a communal letter. So he's not saying this to an individual. He's saying this to all the individuals that make up this church. He's saying it to us as individuals, as a body gathered over, over live stream this morning. He's saying, don't, and I, I should say, he's not saying don't call out injustice. I think he's saying, I, I think it's biblical to call out injustice when you see it. But he is saying, make sure your heart is reflecting Jesus. Above all else, make sure your heart is reflecting Jesus so that the light of Jesus shining in you will shine out for others. So here, maybe here's a question that you should be asking yourself. Would anyone be drawn to Jesus because of you? Because of how you live, how you speak, how you act, how you call out injustice? Are people being drawn to Jesus because of you? And if they're not, do a bit of a heart check and, and sort of, um, it's something to, it's something to consider. He says, everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. This is why it is said, wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Wake up, sleeper, rise from the dead. Christ will shine on you. And his concluding section, be careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. He's getting back to this. He's like, make sure you know, like actually think about how does God want me to live? What is his will for how I need to live in this world? Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the spirit speaking to one another with psalms and hymns and songs from the Spirit, sing and make music from your hearts to the Lord, always giving thanks to God the Father for, every, for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus and submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And he ties those all up, connecting them with, with being filled with God's Spirit. He says, be careful how you live. Make sure that you're being filled with God's Spirit and that will help you avoid drunkenness Actually, that's that drunken, your drunkenness should be replaced with God's spirit. And when you're filled with God's spirit, you, you will be drawn into speaking spiritual songs, which is an interesting turn of phrase. Um, speaking spiritual songs, speaking God's word over God's people, in a sense. You'll be drawn into singing to the Lord, and you'll be drawn into giving thanks and to submitting to one another. And we're going to talk about that submission next week when we take a look at the passage about husbands and wives. But being filled with God's Spirit leads to these places. It gets rid of immorality, of all sorts of impurity, of greed, and leads us away from obscenity and coarse joking and profanity, instead speaking spiritual songs over each other, singing to the Lord and giving thanks, and then serving one another in love. So a benediction for this morning. Um, 
Wake up. Wake up, sleepers. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness, but live as people reflecting Jesus's light, being filled with God's spirit to do the good works God has prepared for you to do.